0: Bismillahir Rahmanir
1: Rahim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahirabbil alamin was salatu was salamu ala rasulillah sallahu alayhi wa sallam Assalamu alaykum warahmatullahi rahmatullahi wa Welcome audience to Talking Deen podcast episode number 9 I'm your host Majid and I have with me today uh, brother Rash and Brother Madassar, Assalamu Alaikum, brothers. As-salamu. How's it going? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Oh well? Okay, SubhanAllah. You, you ready for the podcast? Indeed, absolutely. Okay, brilliant. All right, so today's topic, brothers and sisters, um, we've, uh, the title of the topic is an interesting one Islamic Unity Clean, Bold, or Not Out. Now, uh, many of you may be uh, you know, um, a bit confused about the, the title itself but uh, especially those who probably don't play cricket, but this is linked to cricket. Uh, clean bowl is basically when a batsman is, is, uh, is bowled out, so he's out of the game, and not out, obviously, he's, he's still there. And the reason why um, I thought this would be a good topic to do, uh, well, in regards to Islamic unity, is because of uh, some events uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, there's a Cricket World Cup um, going on in England at the moment, and there was a match between Pakistan and Afghanistan, and SubhanAllah, the scenes before and after the match um, were very chaotic where you had uh, fighting between the, the fans of uh, the Pakistani team and the Afghan, uh, Afghanistan team as well. And, and basically, uh, what was the fighting about? The fighting was, was basically about nationalism, where you know, from, the, from the Afghans, they were you know, uh, very patriotic and, and very nationalistic. Uh, because there are issues going, uh, international issues between the two countries, and this sort of like you know uh, manifested, and, and we saw this evident in the ground. So, uh, so that's why I was thinking that you know, Subhanallah, is actually a, a good topic to do about Islamic unity because you have this issue, but in a, in a wider context, if we see around the Muslim world, you know, brothers, we see that there's you know someone could say there's a uh, there's infighting. There's, uh, you know, sectarian violence going on, you know, even on the lands of ethnicity, whether it's the Kurds or whether it's the Berbers of, of North Africa. So we do see that, you know, if somebody was to look uh, as as like a, a third person was to look down on the Muslim lands, what he would see is like a fragmented uh, area where you have people who, yes, they profess to be Muslims, but you see that, you know, there there's there's a lot of animosity. So with this in mind and you know as muslims we always speak about islamic unity you know one of the uh, one of the issues we speak about i.e. Mean, the solutions for the muslim world is that you know muslims need to be united but would it be fair to say that islamic unity is uh, a fantasy rather than reality someone could say this so inshallah this is one of the questions that we want to highlight today uh, and you know what we're going to go through is we're going to build through build up to the answer to this question because it's very important because i know there's a lot of muslims out there when you speak to them about islamic unity and they do turn around and say well you know we can't even unite on when we're going to do have uh, eid or when ramadan starts so how can you imagine that the whole muslim world is going to be united so before we go into this i think the first question that i think would be good to discuss um is what is you know, what does Islam say about nationalism? What does Islam say about tribalism? Mm-hmm. Or, as in the text, Allah SWT uh, and the Prophet in the hadith speak about Asabiya, you know. So what does Islam have to say about um, these these calls to anything other than Islam? Whether it is to do for your tribe, whether it is to do
0: for your country. So actually, I think, inshallah, that's a good place to start. No, no, it definitely is. And especially because we know, really, that division amongst Muslims or even amongst anybody, there's not always just one source. There can be many reasons for division. And I think, like you said, this is a good area to start because this this is one of the reasons for division. And it's this kind of nationalism. It's kind of having a bond with some people to the exclusion of other people. And the word that we know from an Arabic context is, as you've already said, is Asabiya. And this word is actually quite really important because as we know in Arabic, You have words that give many meanings. We sometimes just translate it just to mean like nationalism or like you've already said, like tribalism. But actually, Asabiya has like a lot of meanings to it. It's the whole idea that, you know, you almost bond with somebody based on one particular value or one particular thing and then exclude other people. So really, tribalism as you mentioned comes under it nationalism as you mentioned comes under it patriotism comes under it even just bonding with your family comes under it even little examples like you know you get this scenario sometimes that say you had a teacher i'll give you an example say you have a teacher that you've been studying with for quite a while and therefore you have kind of a love for that teacher they've taught you a lot of what you know all of a sudden that teacher says something completely incorrect What do you do you support him because you think that i owe a lot to him now i'll support him even in an unjust cause so this is where any kind of trait where it's for other than the truth other than hak can be turned into a form of asabiyah and actually this asabiyah has affected our you know ummah and it was something that was there pre-islam before before the Prophet sallallahu brought the deen of Islam and that's why we sometimes, you might hear it termed of as you know, a trait of jahiliyyah a trait of pre-Islam and yet we are still, even though Islam came to remove it and did we still see some of these traits like the cricket example you gave all of that is absolutely a, a trait of jahiliyyah and therefore asabiyyah, isn't it? it's, even though your brothers are there, who are Separated by this artificial border you actually love those people who are born on this side of a line And you don't like people on that side of like how artificial and uh, how artificial is that? So I think yeah, we need to talk a little bit maybe more about that. So, you know,
1: like there's a there's a hadith uh, Of the 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 messenger وسلم, When he said that whosoever possesses in his heart Asabiya um, Prejudice in any any of its forms, such as tribalism, racism, and nationalism, even to the extent of a mustard seed, uh, Subhanallah. Because you know, I've heard this hadith to do with pride about but, the mustard seed. But uh, uh, yeah. But came this one about even to the extent of a mustard seed, Allah will raise him on the day of uh, resurrection with the pagan Bedouins of the of the of the jahiliya the pre-Islamic times. And you know, main main. Sometimes you know, it's well that. Muslims, they don't even re- realize that they're being nationalistic in the sense where how severe the punishment is for this or how actually in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet how this thing is rotten, you know. And there's many other evidences as well, you know, that, that talk about calling um, anything to, you know, as, as there's another one, let people stop boasting about their forefathers who have died, who are merely fire for the hellfire, yeah or they will certainly be more insignificant with Allah than the beetle which rolls rolls dung with its nose Allah has removed from you the party spirit of the days of Jahiliyyah and the boasting about one's forefathers indeed a person is either a pious believer or a wretched sinner all of mankind are the children of adam and adam was created from
2: clay absolutely i mean thing is like for me the key thing is like you know when you start off with the phrases of saying, is this a fantasy or not? I mean, the ultimate reality is anything which is a fantasy is not achievable. No. We know from our history when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi bought Islam, he managed to achieve that, which obviously resulted in, you know, a united ummah under eight state apparatus. So obviously it's achievable and it's not a fantasy. And the other thing is it should be more achievable, more so now, because we've got a greater number of people who obviously share the Islamic al the thing, obviously, what Rashid, Rashid was saying around, uh, would you call it, you know, how, you know, detrimental this is to the ummah, the fractures. They ultimately all stem from one thing, which is the lack of unity. When, whenever Allah talks about, you know, unity in the Quran, he praises it almost. But whenever he talks about, you know, uh, including in the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when they talk about, you know, disunity, they condemn it. That shows how vital it is. I mean the cricket matches a symptom of the wider problem that Muslims are under. And again it goes back to the point of when we're discussing you know terms like Jahliya. It's almost we have reverted back to you know the pre-age of Islam when we were disunited. And one one of the key things and the key components of the Prophet instilled within the Ummah was to ensure that they understood the Islamic haqidah, which was what bounded us together. I mean, even just going back to the definition of uh, asabiyyah. When the Prophet asked uh, what's his name, uh, what is uh, asabiyyah from an Islamic perspective? A lot of the scholars say it is tribalism. For, uh, uh, he said it's, it's to do with disunity. And someone asked the Prophet so is asabiyyah, uh, uh, what do you call it, when a man loves his people? And he said no. He said asabiyyah is to support your people in an unjust cause, which again goes to show that you know asabiyyah in any kind of form which is divisive is haram in Islam. And again, when Allah talks about you know, the ummah, and including the Prophet he talks about them as being the believers of nothing but brothers. And again, you know, when the Prophet mentions in the hadith, he says, Oh slaves of Allah, be brothers. He does not say, be a Pakistani, or be an Afghani, when it comes to cricket matches, etc. Or be, you know, when it comes to you know, uh, what you call it, borders, which are implemented there by the kuffar, under you know, Sykes, speaker, etc. So they always emphasise, on you know uh, unity and as a whole, i.e. the ummah.
1: So you know, with the stuff that you've mentioned there, obviously I gave some examples of the hadith, and you, you gave even some examples of the ayat of the Quran, right? So the question is that if if it's you know if these evidences, and you'd have to say these evidences are clear, that, that I think Muslims generally know these evidences, right? So why do we then see these divisions in the ummah? Um, why do we see Muslims promoting nationalism and, and, and these? And bonding around national identities, whether it's to do with a particular flag, whether it's to do with, you know, uh, a particular anthem, you know what I mean? So, so, so because that would be the next question.
0: Very valid question, because if you think about it, the issue we have today is we know the verses and we can see that there's lots of places where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, be of a single brotherhood. Yeah, I think it's in, there's there's probably you know, more than 20 different places, yeah? Even like just a couple are like Surah Mu'minun, it says, verily you are one single brotherhood, fear me and no one else. In Surah Al-Anbiya, verily your brotherhood is a single brotherhood. There's lots of places. And then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he highlights that we are one brotherhood. So like you're saying is, it's very clear that we should be one brotherhood, but your question is, is why isn't that the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, the stuff that you mentioned is clear. And
0: one way, way to look at it is, you know, like say we're, we're not at the, nowhere near at the level of the Sahaba. Yeah, we're common Muslim people just having a chat about Islam t- today. Yeah, and yet it, we have even examples of the Sahaba themselves that at the time there was traits that issues that they had conflicts that they had in just in discussion. So I'll give you an example. There's an example of Abu Dhar, may Allah be pleased with him, a great Sahaba, when he was speaking to Bilal radhiAllahu again a great Sahaba, and he said. To him oh mother of a a black woman sorry oh oh son of a black woman yeah and he said it maybe even in those times this is the thing that i think the kind of our audience also need to appreciate is that we may have been born into islam or we're born into islam yet this is all we've ever known yeah at the same time there was those people who they lived pre-islam and they live when islam came about so at the same time, so they have, there's every chance that there's some traits there still that they've lived many, many years in their lives. And now they have come to a new deen that they are living. Yeah. Yet yeah, in this example, when this was said, Bilal radiallahu was really upset by this. So he went to the Prophet wasallam and said, this is what Abu Dhar, may Allah be pleased with him, said. And you know how the Prophet responded to Abu Dhar? The Prophet said to him that you are a man who still has the traits of jahiliyyah. Oh, Abu Dhar, me, Muhammad, I am equally the son of a white woman as of a black woman. Yeah, and this was because, you know, the, you know, obviously, as Muslims, we can have two mothers, especially in those times, the one that gave birth and the one that breastfed. Yeah, and the one that breastfed was a black woman. So he was saying that, look, this, is, and racism falls under this Asabiyyah, this idea that we divide based on these artificial things. So my reason for raising this point is, They are the best of generations, yet even they had to really understand, personify Islam and still erred whilst we are common Muslims. So today when we see these issues, if we can go back to the Deen and the Quran and the Sunnah, then we can rectify this. Not by thinking, oh, just because it's there and it's, you know, Allah tells us and we have all of these ayat that tell us to be one single brotherhood all of a sudden. It's just going to happen. It won't. It still requires that effort from us.
1: So I think you, you, you what you mentioned there, which was quite key, is go back. And um, if we look at... Uh, I mean, also another way of looking at it is, you know, what we're dealing with here is human beings. Okay? And as human beings, you'd have to say that, you know, from a, from a nature point of view, man is selfish. You know, from a nature, purely from a nature point of view. No concepts. You know, he's going he's to think about number one. Right? And... You know, if, if and if man was to decide what was right and wrong, he's going to base it on his own benefits. And what we'll see is that then, when man expands, and then you have a society that forms. If a society is formed on this basis, where the person himself is deciding what's right and wrong, right? Then what you're going to have is you're going to have like a jungle. It's going to be it's going to be uh, uh, chaos because what you're going to say is right and wrong. I'm going to say no. And then what will happen is the 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 powerful will overcome and they will enforce their right and wrong, yeah? So what we see is that, you know, what humans, what mankind needs, mankind needs something which bonds them. So when we're speaking about Islam here and, and the Ummah, in fact, what we're talking about is, we're not talking about uh, a, a bond which just unifies Muslims, we're talking about a bond which actually can unify mankind, you know, similar to when Malcolm X went back to, uh, when he went to Hajj and he went back to America, you know, and, and when he saw When he went to Hajj and he saw the white and and the people from uh, the Chinese and, you know, from all over the world, he concluded that the the solution for racism in America is Islam, right? So what we can see is that, yes, man needs guidance, but if we follow our whims and desires, then we're going to be in conflict. So we have to follow the true guidance, which is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think that's what you're alluding to, is that we will have problems, but as long as we keep referencing back to the time of, uh, to the Quran, the Sunnah, and what we'll see is we'll see uh, beautiful examples like, you know, the example of the Muhajirin when they migrated to Medina. You know, how the, the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, when he, when he uh, paired them with the Ansar. You know, you got to understand that at that time Mecca and Medina were like two different countries. You know, we see now how, how you know, how people... Uh, Treat immigrants and they, you know, they term them as cockroaches and whatever. You had people leaving their land, come to a, 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 another land, and it wasn't just enough that those people were allowing them to come in there, they were saying that half of what I have is yours to that to that extent. And I would say, subhanAllah, that you know, maybe in the history of mankind, you know, subhanAllah, this bond, you know, as a, as a, a, a united bond of mankind. Because you know the previous revelations, they were to certain times of certain people. But I'm talking about where you can unite people from different areas, I don't think it's happened
0: before. Yeah, you even hear Orientalists say this, don't they? They hear, When they talk about the Muhammadan religion, it came about and it was able to unite the Persians and the Byzantines. You know, all of these people <laughs> from all of the Arabian Peninsula and beyond, people who had different ways of life, had different cultures, had different, you know, everything was different about them, yet they were able to bond. And they are they, when they read this, even the whole Orientalist study came about because they wanted to truly understand how it was that something, was was able to have such a unifying effect, especially in an area they would have seen as illiterate. In some places, they see as backwards. Yet, all of a sudden, this area became the most progressed and the most progressive area in the whole world. How was that possible?
2: I mean, even like you know, when we talk about you know fractured societies, mm. when the Prophet of established the state in Medina, one of the most fractured group of people were the Aws and the Khazraj, <X3> that. coupled with you know the Jews amongst uh, Jews amongst them. Yeah, and he was able to unite them and you gave the example of you know, uh, Abu Dhar and uh, Bilal but then there's, there's another example of you know two uh, which you call uh, young males within uh, Medina at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. and they had a dispute amongst themselves so one of them called out to the Muhajireen for help and the other one called out to the Ansar and the Prophet ﷺ was walking by and as he heard this it, ar- uh, it made him really angry and he shouted and he said have you immediately gone back to the ways of Jahliya yep yeah. And he reminded them, you know, that look, they are one brotherhood, and anything which is divisive, they should not be even considered or entertained. And it goes back to the other point as well. When you're talking about, you know, the Sahaba, no one, even they, committed these kind of like mistakes. And I'm giving you an example here the time of the Prophet Sallam. Yeah, the key thing during the time of the Prophet Sallam was that he was a prophet and a messenger who reminded his people on this journey that look, we are one ummah. Today, the Prophet Sallam is not here today. Our only reminder is what the Qur'an and the sunnah, which he left behind. And as the Prophet said in his hadith, he goes, i leave you two things. Yep, the Qur'an and the sunnah, if you hold fast unto them, you will never go astray. And it again goes back to the point, today we are in a situation, and to your question about why. We're in a situation today where the ummah has moved far away from you know, Islam. When we say Islam, we say the Qur'an and the sunnah. Why? Because that is the criterion to mankind. Yep, We the other thing we have to recognize is that, you know, today within the ummah, And also, outside the ummah, the society is very much governed and regulated and promoted through secularism lenses, yep. The ummah at large today, when it refers to anything, it it gets, you know, the things get convoluted, yep. It gets confused because if it had that clarity of thought, that to clarity of thought in relation to that I've got a problem, my solution emanates from this, it will not be in the situation that it is in today. Yep. Hence why the reminder is there and we need to refer back to it. The other key thing to understand and recognize is that, look, you know, man by his nature, yep, he likes a sense of belonging. Yeah. When that criteria is not clear cut and he doesn't have that reference point, he will obviously start utilizing those mechanisms which are obviously not from Islam and which are incorrect. And, as we know, who understands man bet- better than himself? The creator, because he's given you an instruction. He created you, he understands you, therefore he's given you a set of guidelines to operate by. And if you follow those, you'll never go astray. Yep, as the hadith says. Yep, so hence why when man in the absence of having that reference point back to the Quran and the Sunnah, he will always look to the alternatives. Hence why he gets interested in cricket matches and becomes emotional and excited. He gets on the, attached to Absolutely, them. on the wrong pretenses. And in all reality, what he should be doing is obviously focusing towards what is his real criterion in life and guidance. Because ultimately, as human beings, what we need to understand and what a Muslim should understand is what is our purpose in life. Yep, Allah created us. There's a hereafter. Yep, How do we live our life here? And that's what the Islamic Haqqid ultimately addresses. And the sources for that is the Quran and the Sunnah. It says how you live your life in this life, the hereafter, and how obviously it's linked to before all this materialized. And inshallah, alhamdulillah, you know, if you look to that, then obviously we should be able to obviously find a solution. And these are you know, some of the reasons as to why the ummah is in such a disarray. Do you know what's quite interesting also? You know, you mentioned the example of the mustard seed. It's linked
0: to what the brother Mudassar is saying now. You know, like this concept of asabiyah and the example of the mustard seed that's given Yeah, is interesting because when the scholars studied this, they said, actually, there's some good In a mustard seed there it has many many benefits yeah in the same that you know the trait of Asabiya you know something inside you know you got your family you're gonna protect your family yeah you wrap yourself around your family because even the word Asabiya comes from this concept of wrap or link or bond yeah so the idea is that Allah has put that in you so Asabiya as or a trait to bond is there the question is as is saying is that that trait is there. How do you correctly implement that trait between yourself, between your family and between those people around you? You use that trait to, you know, protect people, you know, the, the ones that you're responsible for. So that's still part of that trait. And, you know, human nature, we need to protect our family, our children, our, you know, our sisters, our brothers. We need to protect them. But at the same time, when that trait is kind of corrupted because, like I you say, you are, you've been given national identity now you've you've been given a national flag now all of a sudden you see that as higher than something else which is completely non-islamic you're now using that very same trait that trait that mustard seed you know that that little thing inside you you're using that for the wrong reason for an unjust cause as you said also so this is where that very trait can have some benefit in the same way as the like, the mustard seed has benefit and this is one of what one of the scholars was saying but actually you, utilizing that trait negatively has negative effect on society.
1: So you know, like Subhanallah, with what you're saying, the Rush and what uh, Brother Mudassir said as well is, you know, the uh, the aspect of uh, trying to bond is created in man's nature. Mm. So, so the same way, uh, we have uh, uh, an instinct that Allah Subhanahu has uh, has put in us where we want to revere something and worship something. But how you wor- what you worship, right? It could you could either be worshiping the the correct Allah. Uh, or you could be worshipping a cow, right? In the same way, Subhanallah. The fantastic point you made there is you could be worship you could be bonding around the correct bond, or you could be bonding around other things. So that's why you know I think what you guys have said there is is brilliant because I think it's a good uh, good good time to say this that. One thing that we need to be wary of, and what you're given is, you're given some examples of some friction within some Muslims, right? Whether it's to do with the uh, example of Bila radiyallahu, right? Or to do with the Osan awesome Hasraj that uh, uh, sorry, Muhajirin and the Ansar that uh, uh, Brother Mudassar gave. Because one thing that's important to highlight, and because we need to be realistic, right? And we're not going to paint a picture which is uh, a fantasy in the sense like everything was fine. What we have to understand is that the reality is, is that there's no such thing as a utopia, right? Because what we see is at the time of the, the messenger of Allah wasallam, you know, there were times that these things, uh, these problems about the Asabiyah and stuff, they, 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 they came about then. And even to the stage where we see uh, the, the young, young Jewish boy when he was, you know, there was, there was an incident where there was this Jewish man. And he was, he in Medina, you could see the Aus and the Hasraj. And they were like the Ansar, and they were just chilling, chilling together. And uh, you know, and this was burning him up because when he th- when he thinks about pre-Islamic Medina or Yathrib, what they called it, they were in a way running the show. I.e., they were you know these people fighting amongst each other, and they were basically uh, coming out on top, right? The the Jews. So what he did was he spoke to a young Jewish boy and he said, "Go to them, go to that the gathering and start uh, reciting poetry about the Battle of Buat. Right. So that's what he did. And what we see, you know, subhanAllah, this is, you know, when when we think about this, this is crazy. Here you're talking about the people from the best generation. Is that not Did they just get annoyed. They actually got their weapons out. They lined up in in like a a battle format and they both had their flags. They even brought their flags out. Right. And they had their, their banners and they had their slogans. And they were ready, they were going to go to war, and when the the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi he heard about this, and he came there, and a similar example to what Mudassar said as well that you know, Subhanallah, he was very angry. And at that time, he said to them, he said, you know, have you gone back to the slogans of Jahiliyyah while some still here? And the uh, the ayat that the, the messenger of Allah sallallahu recited, uh, he said, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, bihabli He said, and hold fast all of you together to the rope of Allah, and be not divided among yourselves. And also he said, And remember, Allah's favour on you, for you were enemies one to another, but he joined your hearts together, so that by his grace you become brothers, and you are on the brink of a pit of fire, and he saved you from it. Thus Allah makes his ayat clear to you, that you may be guided. And we can even see, after this, you know, when this happened, subhanAllah, they they were so embarrassed. They, you know, they were crying. They were, you know, how come we do this when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu is amongst us? And even when we see the Prophet passes away, right? We see soon after. We see the first fitna You know, we see a battle, whether you know the circumstances whatever they were. We see a battle between Imam Ali anhu and you know uh, the the mother of the believers, Aisha anha, right? who would have who would have imagined that there would be a battle and these would be the heads of the armies and then you had the issue to imam ali you know and the issue of muawiyah but what we do see is that these were setbacks but going back to the key point you guys have made and i think that's that's the, the point that our audience really need to really need to take from this is that when they came back to islam when they came back to the quran and the sunnah like brother mudass said to the messenger said hold on to the, the Quran and the, uh, the my sunnah we see that they were able to put their differences away and they were able to continue and, 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 and further the cause of Islam and cause remember these instances happened within maybe 30 years of the Prophet prophet but we know Islam continued for 1400
2: years i.e. as a state uh, and we're still Muslims today and it was successful, and you know you said it wasn't a utopian you know, like society or rule, but it was successful, the Muslims had honour, mm. yeah, they had protection, they had a united land. I mean the other thing is like, you know one of the reasons is like, why? The Muslims fell into this trap is pure, uh, uh, and I think it's probably the main one. So one of the main things that led to the destruction of the Islamic State was, you know, the lack of that political awareness and understanding. And it's the same lack of political awareness and understanding which is preventing, you know, from Muslims uniting and uh, would you call it, g- giving rise to uh, a state that would able that would give them the honor, the protection, and remove these artificial boundaries and also these colorful flags which we don't really have any kind of like, recognition of. Because what you have to understand is. Do you know, when you mentioned about the Muslim seed, an example that comes to my mind is, do you know, Imam Hunifa said, do you, know, do you know, good advice is like, do you know, swallowing a bitter pill. Yeah. You might hate to swallow it, but that's where the cure lies. At the moment today, we recognise, you know what, we've got different nationalities and countries which are right next to each other. And they've been put there for various political reasons. Because if you can create all these artificial boundaries, like I mentioned, what, 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 what does that do? It takes your focus away from the real enemy and the real objective. Instead, it makes you inwards looking, thinking that you're the problem. When in reality, you're not the problem. The solution is so simple. Like I mentioned at the start, Allah and His Messenger constantly refer to the Ummah as one body. So if one body, you know, has a, uh, what you call, it? if the body has a pain in a particular part, and He's talking in the example of, you know, the Ummah at large, if the body has a pain in a particular part, then the whole body has a fever. Yep. again trying to emphasize that look it's not just about you know yourself I rec- we recognize that you know, people have, like to have a sense of belonging but if that sense of belonging is on the incorrect methods and approaches then it's haram because there's a hadith of the Prophet in Tirmidhi where he uh, what, what you call it? states whoever calls to a practice of the pre-Islamic era of ignorance i.e. jahliya, he will be among the people of hellfire so a man came up to the Prophet when he heard this and he said oh ya Rasulullah even if he performs the prayer and fasts Yep, the Prophet ﷺ replied, "Even if he prays and fast, so call to the uh, so call to the call of Allah, who named you Muslims, believers, all slaves of Allah." Oh. Yep, and he broke those terms because that encompasses everything. Yep, and it's these political traps that we sometimes forget which have been laid. Because one of the things the kuffar uh, and the enemies of Islam wanted to do was they wanted to put these guardrails in place because they recognized that look, as long as the Muslims have got the Quran and the Sunnah and the Aqidah, And they understand it there's a potential that seed could germinate again and become a fully fledged tree from it and that's what they are looking to do by creating these artificial flags and unfortunately the other things that they tend to do is try to create you know animosity amongst Muslims so for example if you take the example of the Rohingya Muslims yep they are living in Bangladesh territory because they've been driven out by uh, the Burmese and Buddhists and naturally what would you expect these are Muslims gone over to Bangladesh, looking for general you know, security and safety, and trying to live amongst the Muslims, you would think they're your best allies, your natural general you know, people, people that you have you know, a similar understanding to, but instead you have you know, a go uh, you know, the uh, leader of Bangladesh has seen coming out and saying, you know what, these people have no right to live in our places. She would call it, uh, which um, releases rules to say, look, they can't leave their camps. They need to live in these filthy types of conditions. And naturally, what that does to the Rohingya Muslims is saying, actually, do you know what? These are supposed to be Muslim brothers and sisters that should be greeting us with open arms like the Muslims of Jinnah Medina when they greeted the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the companions with open arms and cheers and music, etc. Yet... If you look at today, we've left the Qur'an and Sunnah, this is the treatment What what we even know Muslims do. And it's a political you know, ploy. And what they are trying to do is basically say to the, what you call it, Muslims, who are in these kind of situations, that actually, do you know what, these who you think are your brothers and sisters, in fact they're your enemies. So why would you therefore look for an Islamic solution? Because the people that are supposed to embody Islam and the leadership that's supposed to alleviate this kind of what you call a situation for the Ummah are the very people that are doing this kind of thing to you. So it's a psychological game that they try to play. And unfortunately, when we have that lack of political understanding, we fall into these traps. So we become emotional and we naturally ally ourselves to the wrong cause. And instead we say, Do you know what, he's a Pakistani, I'm Afghani. You know what? Pakistanis were the ones that kind of created the situation in Afghanistan, which resulted in this. The Palestinians—they stop calling out to you know people outside of their own territories because they've been in that situation for so long. They think, you know what? There's no one to help them. Hence, they raise their hands in air and say, you know, oh Allah help us, do the dua. Yeah, the practical solution to that is invite you know the surrounding nations, to uh, Muslim nations, to help you, and also put practical you know steps in place rather than you know what going into despair. So you know. Uh, with what you just said there,
1: you give many examples of like uh, Muslims uh, calling for the wrong thing, or being being uh, uh, pushed, duped to doing this, right? So you know we already ac- uh, accept that we have the Quran and the Sunnah, and that the Islamic Aqeedah is is what unites unites mankind, not just the Ummah. It should unite mankind, right? So what if someone was to say that actually, if you know, why is it then that? Uh, the 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 Muslims who have the the right criteria uh, seem uh, to be disunited, whilst the the non-Muslims who have the incorrect criteria, obviously because they don't they don't believe in uh, in Islam, why they seem more united. So you know, we see that there's a, a rise of nationalism and populism in Europe. Okay, but why why is it that we see that you know the ones who have the falsehood. Apparently, uh, have an EU and or have these different co- co- uh, coalitions and alliances, whilst the people of
0: the huck seem like uh, divided. And What I would say is this is a really good, good one, really, really good thing to discuss because, firstly, that it appears that way. This is what I would say first of all good, because, yeah. okay. because it's worth noting that they are united, but at the moment because they have a common enemy. Yeah, and we see this from a patriotic point of view. You know, if you try to understand man as a species, it's quite natural that, you know, even if there was a few people in an area who maybe hated each other, but say someone else tried to come into that area and attack it, those people who hate the other people sorry, those people who hate each other, now there's a threat to their society, to their area or to, you know, something that is common to them, they bind together. Yeah, they bind together to go, there's a, a threat now, we need to come together, put our differences aside, and expel that threat. This is this, almost this idea of patriotism. And it's a, a natural thing amongst human beings as well. They'll come together if they have a common enemy, a common threat. And this is actually what has happened with any of, many of the Western and non-Muslim nations. So what's happened is they see Islam as this threat. They see that, you know, when we talk about holding onto the rope of Allah. Many times in history, you've noticed that the people, non-Muslims, who have been quite ideological, have said, you know, the way to get to defeat the Muslims, they say specifically, if you want to defeat the Muslims, take the Quran away from them. You've heard that you get people in, you know, in, in parliament, parliament and stuff yeah. like that and said this. And there's been quite a few examples of people saying this, because they recognize that unity that Muslims have come from binding together with the Quran and Sunnah. But now these non-Muslim nations, people, all of these people, they appear united because that they have a common enemy. They recognize that Islam is this is this thing for them, that if people understand it correctly, they will come together and that is a threat for them because for there to be like another superpower, that means their power is at stake. And the reason why I also say that it appears this way, they come together, is because what Allah says in Surah Al-Hashr, yeah. Allah says, they fight not against you even together except in fortified townships or from behind walls. Their enmity among themselves is very great. So they have enmity towards each other. You would think they were united, but their hearts are divided. That is because they are a people who understand not. And this is what Allah's telling us. So Allah, t- and then actually then we can look back at history and we know this was the case. There's enmity between the British and the French. There's enmity between these nations in the, in the non Muslim lands. Yes, they put an EU together, but that had an objective. You know, you
1: mentioned EU. Yeah. The uh, is interesting is the Peace, to, the peace of West, uh, Westphalia, Westphalia yep. if that's how, how you pronounce it. It was signed between 15th of May and 24th of October, 1648. And this peace treaty brought uh, to an end the Thirty Years' War. Which was fought within Central Europe, right, between 1618 and 1648, and from what I was reading, is uh, it said that this is one of the most destructive conflicts in human history. It resulted in eight billion fatali- uh, fatalities, um, and uh, from violence, famine, plague, and basically, it says like the deadly clashes ravaged Europe. Twenty percent of the total population of Ger- Germany died, right, during this conflict. Wow. But you know. What happened at the Peace Peace of Westphalia? It was that what the uh, Christians did is because you know the Thirty Years' War was was it was uh, the motivating factor was the different uh, sects of Christianity, okay? And what they agreed at that time is if we don't unite against the Turks, against the Ottomans, it's game over. So we need to put our we need to put our differences aside. And we need to, uh, co- uh, you know, uh, create a common uh, a deterrent for Islam to be spread through Europe. And actually, subhanAllah, this is maybe is like, you know, one of the the beginning, the seed of what we see today, the EU. So the point you're saying is valid, subhanAllah, that Europe was fighting each other. And the only reason why they came together was because of the threat to Islam. Exactly.
0: And, and all of this is very key, especially in today's time. We need to appreciate it. Because, like you said earlier about, you know, rise of populism, r- rise of white supremacy, right wing kind of politics, whether it be in, in the Brexit issue over here, whether it be in the Dutch issue, all of these parties, the Gert Wilders party, you know, all of these right wing things that are happening. A lot of it is, it comes back to, it kind of comes full circle back to the Asabiya thing we were saying earlier on. It's this idea that, you know, whilst they've had this threat, a greater threat. They have busied themselves, you know, to come together to fight Islam. But actually, they're divided amongst themselves. Just this immigration issue has ha- actually just solidified some of those and it's kind of triggered this populism. It's triggered this idea of, okay, we thought racism, their civilization painted to us that they dealt with racism. They tried to show us that, oh yeah, we've dealt with it. But what happened? Camera phones and all of these things started coming out. And all of a sudden, the racism that they promote to us that was dealt with, is clear for us all to see that that still is there. Bro,
1: it's a quick point there. In 1958, in Belgium, there was uh, the 1958 World Fair. And in this World Fair, they had uh, uh, children from Congo. Uh, and they were oh, human zoos. Human human zoos. 1958.
0: 58. It's quite recent. This is crazy, isn't that it? That was just
1: before... England won the World Football World Cup, which they never won again. So it's not that long ago. Right?
0: And we're talking fourteen hundred years ago. The Prophet sallallahu was able to unite black and white and every type of people—people people who were slaves to people who were kind of the elite—all together Look to
1: stand the, side by the, side. The Mamluks. The Mamluks were slaves, and they became rulers. But you know that that point it's there about It's interesting you, mentioned the, uh, you know,
2: slaves because uh, you know obviously you've heard about the American Civil War. And how you know, like the North went into war with the South, and between 640 to 700,000 you know Americans were killed in that Civil War, and it was around you know, slavery. Yeah. So the North had industrialized, but the South was primarily you know farming and relied heavily on uh, what's his name uh, you know uh, slavery. Because their main kind of large, uh, industry was uh, uh, commercial cotton, growing commercial cotton in order to be uh, able to sell it, and the labor force behind that was slavery, and how they went into war with each other, and it got to a point where the South wanted to kind of like dissect itself, and establish a uh, what you call a separate sovereign country, and how they went at war with each other just to keep that unity together, and again it goes back to the point of you know, like what you're saying right, on the surface of it they look united, but if you dig deep. You recognise, you know, the fractures that they've got, and they're far worse and greater than the Muslims. And prime example, when you mentioned, you know, populism, EU, you got parties within Denmark that are basically saying, you know, the EU has failed us. We need to address issues of uh, Islamic uh, immigration, yeah, or migration, and they are using an external threat like Islam. Why would you be using an external, external threat such as Islam when it has no substance or no water? Yep, there has to be, obviously, even amongst themselves, recognition that there is something out there which is far superior than what they've got. And it gives people more of a unity than what we can present. And then again, take move away from EU. If you look at NAFTA, the GTAA, the global general trade agreements are in place at the moment, how they are fractured amongst themselves on that. Trump comes to, you know, mine, how he's got these disputes with the Canadians, with the Mexicans, with the Chinese, Chinese. etc. Yep. Just around, you know, trade agreements and how they are disunited amongst themselves.
0: you know what's amazing about this sometimes? Isn't because we, we give Muslims sometimes a hard time, isn't it? We're saying, like, we're so divided. We've got issues amongst ourselves. We can't unite. Especially you get some of the scholars that give all these long kind of, elaborate speeches where he's kind of digging at the muslims really badly you know you can't even come together to pray in the same mosque and stuff like that and yes we know that's an issue and as the brother's saying is actually there's so much more that unites us than actually divides us it's just that a lot of those things that divide us are what are promoted but the what the reason that makes me so hopeful is that you know these are part of allah's plans because the very thing you know the right wing rise of right wing yeah this a lot of this is funded by by america they wanted the rise of the right wing as a mechanism for in stoking islamophobia so you know you just have to look at there's lots of names whether it's the quilliam foundation for for our listeners for them to just do some reading is to look into the quilliam foundation look in there's another one called the john templeton foundation there's the the national front in france there's the act for america There's the the David Horowitz Freedom Center. All of these think tanks, and this is where a lot of the funding comes from. And if you link it all back, all of that funding is pumped often into like European places in order to increase right wing, and right right wing and kind of white supremacy and anti-Islamic. So they actually started a lot of it off against Islam. But that same, the effects of that and a part of Allah's plan has been that they have fractured themselves now there's this kind of liberalism and there's like you know and liberalism is having an effect and we're seeing the fruits of liberalism in this society with all the lgbt issues and all of the the suicides and you know like freedoms and all of the issues that we have with that but at the same time you see in the right wing people who are going actually we're superior than other people so there's a genuine fracture within themselves so that fracture is what will be their downfall it's just important that muslims at this time go you know what they're fractured they're Falling apart themselves, their societies are decaying. It's time for us to hold on to the rope of Allah, be united, as Allah says, and then we will be able to come back on top.
1: Thing as well is, you know, from there the ideology that they they profess to exactly what you're saying, just to build on what you're saying Rush is the ideology of capitalism, secularism. In fact, this is inherently divisive. Just, just from the Akida point of view, right? And the only time, like you said, is they can find some common interest is when there's a when there's a common interest to unite. And even then, you know, think about, you know, uh, they they talk about these spy scandals where these countries are meant to be unified, right? But then, you know, you find a spy in 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 one country and one spying on another country. Why? Because, like you said, inherently from their Akida, from their belief. It's they want they need to be number one.
0: There's that saying, and you guys might remember it just came to me. You know, where America says they don't have common interests, or is it they don't have friends but they only have
1: common interests? Common interests.
0: And this is what it is they don't have it's not about Britain being friends with America and stuff like that. Britain, in the with the Brexit situation now, realises that if they don't get America's support, that they're, they're pretty much their situation
2: is dire. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like what you just mentioned? I mean, you know, the capitalist ideology, it is individualistic, yeah? And if you look at the word individualistic, it doesn't mean, you know, like, it's all encompassing. It means you are literally an individual. It's what's in your interest. As long as it's in your interest, it doesn't matter who else there is. It is seen as a competition, yeah? So at the moment, they see Islam as a competition through which they unite, yeah? And and also to avert some of the own uh, internal challenges they have within their own nations and also issues that they have. And when that threat kind of like either dissipates or, you know, when Islam goes out of the equation, their real issues start to uh, come to the surface, Yep. hence why they keep on talking about, you know, NATO, EU and all these other fracture lines. And it just goes to show, you know, how can you really unite around an ideology which says, actually, I don't want to unite, I'm for myself. And, you know, it goes back to those points about, you know, them, if it's not over land, it's over nationalism. If it's... Uh, what you call it, nationalism, that's always competitive and externally focused and you would literally tread on anyone else that comes in your way. And you know that just proves they need Islam to keep them united. You know
0: if Islam wasn't there, they would just be fighting one another. So almost a threat of Islam is what actually unites them, which is... You know, uh, well, and that's why at the same
1: time, whilst they have these problems within themselves, we see that in the same way, if you go back to the example that we, we spoke about, the Jewish boy, in uh, Medina um, What was needed was a reminder
0: mm.
1: Yeah, like uh, Mudassa said at the beginning That the, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He was there he, he was, Man's nature kicked in And he he's, is like mind of a matter mm. Right They needed a reminder But what we see today Is that the reason why Even though we have Like so much in common And maybe a few differences And even those differences really To be honest with you Are even Most of them are permissible in Islam mm. Yet what we see is that the same example of the Jewish boy then is today we see the same initiatives that are there originally with, for example, you know, just say the initial Sykes-Pico, you know, when they they took over the Muslim lands, they carved them up, they gave them the anthems and etc. But we see that over time, you know, even though some Muslims out there, very minority of Muslims may question whether... Uh, you know Muslims have truly left nationalism, but the reality is okay, we got these issues to do with the cricket match, and we do see what's happening. But what but but generally, we see that Muslims are connected uh, certainly from a spiritual level as, a, as an ummah, right? So, what we see is that what they do now, whether they're psych speaker or whether now we, what we would term psych speaker, 2 as an example, where before they realized that you know what, we gave them their different you know, we drew a, a, a line in the sand. But these people, these tribes, they just like, moved over, they were the same people, right? And in reality, it never really divided them the way we wanted them to, right? But, now what we see is a a dangerous game, and this is like, you know, something as Muslims and our, our audience really needs to take heed of, is the fact that, you know, we spoke about the common thing is going back to Qur'an and Sunnah. What they're trying to do now, the enemies of Allah and enemies of Islam, is they, they're trying to make some differences in the Muslims, whether it's on the Shia and the Sunni vibe, but where in fact the other side deems that the other side is actually not even Muslim. Muslim yeah. And if they deem them not even Muslim, there's absolutely no common factor. They can't come back to, they can't hold on to the rope of Allah because they all have their own ropes.
0: And I'll give you a sad, really sad example. There was this non-Muslim brother who then became Muslim. Obviously there was a, a brother who came to the deen. And almost in the first few days that he came to the deen, he'd become Muslim, came to the deen, and someone came and spoke to him and goes, "What madhab are you? Or oh, what type of Muslim are you?" And he was like, uh, "I'm Muslim." And this newly new Muslim brother, "I'm I'm a Muslim." He was like, "No no no, which madhab do you follow?" He was like, "Cause I don't know. What what are what are these madhab? Oh no, you have to follow a madhab." And all you know, really, kind of in an aggressive kind of, "Oh, you can't even be a Muslim if you if you don't follow." You know, this kind of disun, causing that thought within this brother had come to the deen come to the brotherhood of islam and all of a sudden and he kind of threw all of that division away before came to islam and thought this is unified and all of a sudden someone's asking me i'll have to choose what type of muslim i am now i have to choose this or choose that and instantly that division being created so these are issues that are within our ummah that we need to tackle but
1: that's true, but, but, but even
0: these have been instigated.
1: And, and that's what, that's they're the instigated. point. They're instigated. But, you know,
2: like, we keep on talking about, you know, like, interesting, you know, when we talk about reminders, mm. the reminders of the Muslims to refer their affairs and issues back to the Quran and Sunnah. But it's also interesting, you know, when you talk about, you know, you mentioned some of those, uh, what you call it, examples from, you know, mm. Europe and rest of the world. Outside of the Muslim like, spectrum, is how they also use Islam as a reminder mm. to remind their yeah. nations of the threat that. that they face in order to unite Them themselves, themselves against yeah. a common cause. So EU, the American naturally sees EU as a threat, yep, yeah? because by a block, is far greater in economical terms. What it requires the EU in order to be able to sustain a NATO that can fight off Islam, and again, if you look at you know, America is trying to contain the rise of China because it sees China as a threat. And again, it shows the fractures that they've got amongst yeah. themselves. And not only that, they used, you know, before we had, you know, almost like, you know, um, theoretical borders or borders which were just on a map. But now they are trying to introduce physical, you know, like uh, boundaries and borders. So wars. Absolutely. Angels, take yeah. Palestine, for example. Take Yemen, for example. And even when they haven't got those, you know, physical borders, they try to contain a country such as Qatar, You've got people that speak the same language, people got the same culture, but they're trying to obviously contain them because it goes against their interests.
0: And again, part of it is because of the media machine as well. So they utilize the media machine to cause propaganda promote propaganda against different nations so you know even your question earlier on about national identities and stuff it relates to this question you're asking now about how you know all of there's all of these Muslim states we know there's Sykes-Picot for our audience there was people who draw drew the lines of the Middle East today that we seem so proud of insanely you know all of this links back to the fact that there was a decline prior to Islam as a a state, as a civilization, correctly being implemented. There was a decline before that and then Islam collapsed in its physical implementation. And since then, there's been a gradual revival. And for anybody who kind of looks at this and goes, yes, Muslims are in this problem. Yes, we've got a really powerful enemy, yet we are seeing that they're having issues as well. We need to understand now how we bring that unity back and that unity actually can truly globally only come back when kind of, we bring a political entity back. Because what will happen is we'll always have some issues with d- disagreements. And the thing is, sometimes people don't appreciate that in Islam, you're allowed to have difference of opinion. You're absolutely allowed to have difference of opinion on key, ma- on certain matters. But yet there are a lot more. There is a lot more that unites us. That's what we need to talk about. We need to talk about what unites us, understand why that decline happened before Islam collapsed as a, a state apparatus, and then undo that. And a lot, that undoing process is ongoing. It's happening now, but it's, it's time that we really appreciated that and re- recognize that this age old divide and conquer is still happening today whether, you know, we're seeing in many countries now. So I think we need to go through this kind of process of thinking as Muslims in order to kind of rectify the situation.
1: Okay, yeah. So, I mean, what you've what you've said there, some of the advice you've given the rush actually leads nicely into maybe sort of the conclusion and, and sort of summary and wrapping this this podcast up. So if we go back to, uh, you know, the, the initial, uh, the title, shall we say, which is Islamic unity, clean, bold, or not out, uh, Islamic unity is is not out until Islam is there because if it's if it's any other unity then you the, the, the yeah, you, you be clean bold um not because quartile. yeah you won't be caught it will be clean middle stomp. Out of the ground. I feel sorry right. for our
0: audience members who don't watch. Yeah, they don't.
1: Yeah, but this is maybe motivation, not just for the unity, but also <laughs> to go and find out about cricket as well. But that's a joke. But going back to the, also the question about is Islamic unity a fantasy or a reality? What we can see is, of course, is a reality because it's the haq We see we have we have examples of true reality, uh, true unity in the Ummah. So it's not a fantasy. And Subhana, even yesterday I was at. Uh, Hairdressers, okay, uh, you might notice that I've had, I've had a haircut, but as at hairdressers and and the guy I was speaking to, him, we were speaking about Islam and Christian. He's Christian, and he said he this is his word. You know, you talk about all these Muslims that talk about like really uh, put Islam and Muslims down. He was saying to me, he goes, look, he goes, one one thing about you Muslims is you could have a Muslim from anywhere around the world, right? They meet and there's a there's a natural connection, right? They're like brothers, and he's he's saying this to me so what we see brothers and audience is that of course you know as an ummah uh, you know our hearts are connected no doubt uh, what we what we lack is political unity we, we lack political we we lack that political unity that mechanism that will uh, deal with our disputes based on islam this is one thing we're lacking right but in regards to whether the ummah is united you know i don't think this is something which Okay. Or, or is Islam unity uh, a fantasy? This is something which is, is completely incorrect. And it goes back to the point that you said, as long as we uh, hold on to the rope of Allah, which is the Quran, which is Islam, which is the Jama'ah, even some scholars have, have, have sort of like uh, understood it in different ways. Um, so, you know, in regards to uh, some of the solutions, and you've already given some good advice, what advice I would give is that, you know, uh, First, our advice is is, is very is an easy one. The fact that we need to build a relationship with the Quran and the Sunnah. Because if this is what's going to unite us, we need to know about this. But also what I'll say is that, you know, you speak to many Muslims, whether they are practicing or not practicing, whether they are in the Dawah or not. One thing they always say is, brother, one of the problems is we have disunity. What I would say is you guys have given some amazing examples about the calls of disunity that are being amplified in the world today. So is, it, so is it not our responsibility as Muslims to drown out these voices of disunity with the voices of unity?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the other piece of advice I would give is like, you know, drown, like you said, drown out the voices of disunity and promote, you know, the voices of uh, you know, unity. But also understand that islam is a complete system it has a comprehensive idea about life man and universe so when i say man i mean you know humans people yeah and also recognize that it gives you a direction as to how to hold those relationships with various different nations or people in the correct manner as opposed to the incorrect manner the other thing is that might be a hard ask for some people but you have to realize what is your purpose in life your purpose in life as a Muslim is to seek the pleasure of Allah. It's only so when you start to look at things in through those lenses that you recognise that, you know what, I've got instructions here which have commanded me to operate in a particular manner. And if I follow those, I will be rewarded. If I don't follow those, I will be sinful. And therefore, if I don't do it correctly, there's a high possibility that I will end up in hellfire. But if I do it right, I'll seek the pleasure of Allah, but I will also enter Jannah. When you understand your purpose in life, that's when everything starts to change. The dynamics of the game start to change. You will start to study. You will start to recognize that Islam is a complete system, as opposed to a partial system which addresses all problems to life.
0: And even though what the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says is, "Love for yourself, what you love for your brother. Love for your brother. We love know. for your brother, what you love for yourself." <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because that's and you know what? Actually, even at the beginning of that, you only believe. Once you love for your brother, what you love for yourself. Because this, and look how important that is. It's linking it back to Iman. So now, if we actually kind of personify that trait, that's almost like saying, you know, I bet a lot of people will say that I have, I don't have a trait of Asabiyah in me. I don't have a trait of nationalism. Someone who's understood it. But then say they have a, say they have a daughter and say they are a Pakistani, Bengali or whatever. Say a black person, a black Muslim comes in to give their hand in marriage. That, you know, if we still have that bit of a trait where we go, oh, yeah, I don't want to give my daughter's hand in marriage to that person. Sometimes those traits are so deeply rooted because of this society, we don't even appreciate them ourselves. So, first and foremost, by Mudassa's advice there, we do need to really recognise how much we understand our criteria in life. That's first and foremost. But the other bit of advice I would also give to myself first is that, you know, actually, a lot of the plots and plans that are occurring whether it be how they promote Iran as being like the, the head of the Shia and the, and Saudi as the head of the Sunnis and all of this. And there's this constant clash isn't there. So we will be talking even like recent examples are what is happening in Turkey Turkey with people who have been in war for seven, eight years now from Syria, going and creating a new life for themselves in Turkey, Yeah, have started businesses and stuff. And then there's people from Turkey, other Muslims who are fighting them or swearing at them and there's this massive clash now maybe it's exaggerated a bit but this clash between syrian refugees who have started a new life in in turkey and kind of turkish muslims yeah all of this is happening because that war there in syria we have to appreciate was instigated externally that now and consequence of that is the immigration problem And the consequence of that immigration problem is this clash. If we don't now link that back to why it started, what will happen? We'll stay at the end of it and we'll go, oh, because these people came into our land, maybe there are some that are causing trouble. All of a sudden, that means we have a conflict between brothers. Instead of thinking, you know what, the fact that this situation has even arisen is because there are people who are instigating division in our lands, be it Sudan, be it Syria, be it... You know, be it Palestine, wherever, every Muslim country, if we don't understand their plans and we don't appreciate that there's a concerted effort, as Allah tells us, they wish to extinguish the light of Allah, if we don't appreciate that it's happening, then we'll always be naive to it. We'll always think that, oh, it's just our fault. So we have to correct ourselves and, and work towards that change ourselves but also we need to appreciate that there's an external issue going on
1: here <laughs> um, and, and, and that's why what comes to mind is the hadith of the messenger وسلم, when he said that the believer is not stung from the same hole twice and uh, you know you you said then uh, what brother Mudassa has been mentioning as well as that you know one thing that we, we need as an ummah is uh, we need to be politically aware You know, there's big games being played. Um, You know, we need to ask these, you know, we we need to ask these questions ourselves. You know, if they paint a picture of this sectarian violence in Iraq and Syria, how many people have actually done the investigation to see that actually the fighting that's happening is between militias on both sides. This isn't as if the whole Sunnis of that land have gone against the whole Shia of the land and the Kurds, you know, so these, and, and all the militias, they controlled by the states in the area and those con- those states are controlled by the remote control in the White House so you know until Muslims don't understand exactly what you said there that the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala isn't going to change our condition until we work towards it and, and what does that mean? you know that means like what the brother uh, Mudassa said is even going back to the the, the uh, you know uh, the, the fundamentals of what's my purpose in life, understanding what does Islam say understanding that my solutions need to come from Islam, not from outside of Islam you know why are we in this situation you know, If we haven't exerted our effort in these things, then the reality is that we can sit there and say what can I do? to to uh, to counter what's happening, the reality is is that we probably haven't even started. So inshallah, ta'ala if there's nothing else that you guys want to add, I think we will we'll end on that on that note. Uh, and so you know to the the audience, whether you're watching or whether you're listening, you know the the key issue of the, the ummah is we are one ummah, we are the envy of the entire world. Trust me, you know um, the fact that. You know, a Muslim from anywhere in the world can can bond together in a way where only for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is something which the enemies of Islam they envy, and you know which they cannot they cannot uh, uh, replicate because their belief actually tells them just to think about themselves. While as Muslims, that's not the case. So the issue of Islamic unity, brothers and sisters, of course there is Islamic unity. You know, if you have people in positions of scholars and imams speaking about disunity or promoting disunity, we need to question this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Muslims are one brotherhood. And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that make reconciliation between them. So if we have people who we look up to for guidance, but they are actually instigating in us hatred towards other Muslims, we need to really question where their source is. Uh, so inshallah, on that note, I'd like to first of all, uh, give a big Jazakallah here for the uh, the panel with Rash and brother mudassar and uh, for all of you guys uh, keep you know with supporting us inshallah taala and uh, hopefully we will uh, be you know uh, bringing us some more material for you as well aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah liya wa lakum wa li saril muslimin fastaghfiruhu innahu huwal ghafurur rahim assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.